Hello there, it's Thursday, which means it's time once again for the best movie podcast ever. The only movie podcast which offers nothing but objective, hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. I am your host, the podcaster with no name, Conrad, and with me as always, if I can change and he can change, then everybody can change, it's Anthony James. And that will make sense as we get into the episode. That's a Rocky Four line. Good afternoon, good evening, good night. Oh, Rocky Four line. I'm yeah, this already. Yeah. A little, sowing a little seed for what might be coming later oh. in the episode. How, how, how are you doing, Anthony? Doing very, very well. Um, yep, yep. Looking forward to some movie chat today. Um, I've taken up a new hobby in the last week. Um, yep. Yeah. Just, Is I, it I, legal? Are you allowed to talk about it on air? Yes, it, it does involve the word kill, but it's not actually murder. Uh, it is killer Sudoku. Now, I've always I've always been an avid admirer of ordinary Sudoku, but for some reason I never heard of killer Sudoku. Yeah, uh, what is killer about it? So I don't know why it's called killer Sudoku, but is basically, it like the '90s killer, like killer man? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's killer Sudoku. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, it's Sudoku, but you start the grid with no numbers, uh, and then you just have. <laughs> In, yeah, inside the grid, there's a lot of cages, and the cages oh have different God. different values. So, like, you'd have four four numbers that have to add to add the twenty, three numbers that have to add to thirteen, and then you have to put all the numbers in from the scratch. That's outrageous. I mean, I, I um I'd like a little a peek behind the curtain here. I do the New York Times mini crossword pretty much every day with my partner, and she started doing the Sudoku. And they do, I think they do three difficulties of Sudoku. They do yeah. easy, medium, and hard. And I got up to medium, and I was like, no, this is my level. So that is killer Sudoku. Sounds impossible by my standards. Like, well, I don't know how I'm, I could possibly do it. I'm, I'm on, like, so there's 10 difficulties on this a website called Daily Killer Sudoku. There's 10 difficulties, so you go to 1 all the way up to 10. Uh, 10, even the 10 ones, the people who can solve the 10 ones, the average solve time is, like, over 40 minutes every time. Okay, uh, nice. So it's like a commitment. It's a commitment, yeah. Like So I spent, I've spent about 40 minutes. I, I'm sort of... My level at the minute is around the sort of fi- difficulty five six one. I'm not. I'm sort of middle killer Sudoku, but it's something that I'll keep you abreast of as we move forward. Yeah, well, you know, killer Sudoku. We've plugged you there, so you know, if you want to get involved as a sponsor, there's a slot open. Yeah. Um, we're doing a movie diary this week, folks. We talked about uh, monster movies last week. Go and check that out if you like the sound of Anthony and I talking about Godzilla and King Kong and such beast um but yeah we're doing a movie diary this week where we're going to talk about all the movies we have seen since the last time we did one of these um before we get into it please subscribe to us on youtube at the culture cave or on podcasting apps uh we are the best movie podcast ever you should know that because you are listening to it yeah, uh, give us a like get involved in the comments share the show with your friends uh, but other than that let's talk about some movies in the words of conrad let's do it movies that's what we're here to talk about I didn't. I, I didn't used to do that deliberately, but now I feel like I, I've been painted into a corner by realizing like, that I've done yeah. it more than once. So it's have become to, a catchphrase. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. People, that's what people tune in for. You just it's like um, movies. It's the, it's like the bit in <laughs> Citizen Kane, and I'm going to say this having not seen Citizen Kane. One of my great movie shames is that I've never seen Citizen Kane. Um, I believe it's in Citizen Kane where Orson Welles deliberately puts a cut from one thing to a parrot in the. I think it's parakeet or parakeet or something in the foreground, just going. Bah-ha! and it happens about like two hours into the movie and he deliberately put it in there to like wake up the audience basically after after a long dialogue scene and that's what that movies thing is to me it's like bam here we go yeah we're talking it, about movies you're asleep from all the sudoku talk movies yeah wham <laughs> in, here's a three minute preamble after the preamble like just in case you were you like you weren't bored of that already um oh, yeah. i did i didn't mention actually conrad we will talk about it later but i did mention this i think we have to congratulate conrad he's got his first film uh review up on the channel so if you haven't seen that, go check it out. Uh, Malcolm yep. and Marie. 
Uh, I'm sure you'll be talking about that a little bit today as well. Yeah, that'll come up. Um, but yeah, go do, do go check that out. Let me know what you think. Maybe maybe it was awful and you don't want to see any more of it. Maybe you want to see loads more. Let me know either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, okay, cool. So um, I've got four movies to talk about this week. Anthony, I believe you also have four movies to talk about. Um, so this will be nice and even. Why don't we... I'm going to say break from tradition here. I don't actually know what the tradition is. But why don't we break from tradition and you go first? Yeah, I don't think there is a tradition. No. So I'm looking at my four films and I'm trying to decide which one is the best one to go first here. Hey, right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... Pre- Valentine's Day has passed, but I'm going to preface this or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide you in a direction. Do you have anything that's like romantic in nature? I've... You could argue that two of mine are yes. You okay. could argue. You could argue. Well, what, in the spirit of the season, why don't we? Why don't? Because I've got a couple of, of of romance. Have you got? Romance. Actually, you got a film that's actually just a romance film. I do. Right, you go yeah. with that then, because I don't have anything that's like that. I've got, I've got one that's what's romance. But when I say it, you'll be like, "Hang on, hang on, this isn't a Valentine's film." Okay, so you go first, and then I'll go. Okay, with fine. Well, so we're gonna we're gonna stick with tradition, listeners. Having said that, we're gonna break from it, as is often the case with tradition. It's proved to be a stubborn thing, and it's stuck around. Um, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start us off. I've got a couple from 2021 that I wanted to talk about. One we've already just mentioned, but I'm gonna start us off with something that um, drops on uh, Amazon. Uh, last week um, and it caught my eye and I think it'll catch your eye as well I don't know if you've okay. heard about this movie but to you and to the listeners at home we got ourselves a time travel romance movie here um, now this is the thing that caught my eye about this is is number one that it's got Catherine Newton in it who is making big waves for me as an actress she's, she's always turning up in stuff that I like including Freaky last year and two is that it's essentially Groundhog Day but it's basically you take the central premise of Groundhog Day, which is that you know a, a guy is stuck in a time loop and he's trying to romance a, a woman um, in order to break out of the loop. Mm-hmm. And this time, it's not Andy McDowell; it's uh, it's Catherine Newton. They're both in the loop, and they are both kind of trying to pursue this romance. And then it goes to other places. But this is 2021's The Map of Tiny Perfect Things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's from a director called Ian Samuels, who I've not seen anything of his before. Um, and it's really good. It's really, really good. Um, the, the the premise hooked me, and I was like, okay, if it's just kind of you know like a sort of teen take on a teen romance take on Groundhog Day, um, I'm on board with that. And it kind of starts off as that. I'm, I'm going to use a word here. I'm going to use the word twee to describe the first <laughs> uh, the first third or so of this movie. It's um, where is his name? Carl Allen is the name of the the the, the male lead um, who I've not really seen in anything before either. Um, but he basically. We pick up his story when he's been in this time loop for some indefinite period of time, and the whole like kind of opening ten minutes is him riding his bike and like pointing out things that are going to happen, and, and he basically is trying to get with this this girl who's not in the time loop, and he's obviously been doing it for some time, and she's rejecting him, and and, and he's kind of just flippantly approaching this whole thing. You know, he he's like predicting what his sister is going to say before she says it. He's catching toast as it flies out the toaster. It's all very charming, and 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 like when when it, it was when it was that, I was like. Like, this is fine. This is fun. I can, I can deal with this. Um, but then it, it takes a, a a kind of thematic left turn at like the halfway point, and he stops being the focal main character, uh, the, the focus of the movie, and the, really the main character. And Catherine Newton becomes the, uh, the main character, and it becomes a much more serious. I, w- I won't spoil it, but it becomes much mm-hmm. more serious thematically. And that was the bit where it really won me over because it starts dealing with much darker, much more. Um, 
much more I, I don't want to say grown up but but much more nuanced topics um and it, it, it gets really really good and it's but it's still kind of it, it's all kind of sewn together in this really believable romance between Carl Allen and Catherine Newton but there's this other stuff going on that is that is really lovely um and it, it was a great movie I really enjoyed it yeah, like so, it's it's not so much as a time travel film as a time loop film. Um, yeah, I mean they invoke Edge of Tomorrow uh, and yeah. Groundhog Day, and for the After Dark listeners out there, singularities do get a mention. So oh, you know, so there's sh- sciencey schmiancey stuff going on here too. Derisender, derisender. Yeah, so well, this this seems really cool. Actually, I I love it whenever like. I'm sure. Now you said there was sort of, sort of some deep things going on at the end, hmm. but it come out on the 5th, February 12th. So this is being marketed as like a romantic. Oh, team. absolutely. I mean, and the the first half is you know, boy meets girl. Girl is a little bit resistant to to his advances. She's in the loop as well, and, and it feels like it's Groundhog Day. If Andy McDowell was also in the time loop, that feels like okay. a, a, the, the, the kind of tagline. And then it changes into something else. But that that bit at the beginning, it, that is definitely what it's marketed as. Um, mm. None of none of the the, the the sort of darker stuff gets mentioned at all in the promotional material, from what I've seen. Okay, well that's this. I do like a romantic. To be honest with you, I do like a romantic film. Uh, I've seen Sleepless in Seattle more times than I can count. Um, and I, uh, me and my brother, for some reason, watched that a lot growing up. Um, it's a good movie. I, I really like it, yeah. Uh, Tom but, Hanks but, and Meg Ryan, instant chemistry. Yeah, there's, they, they did like four films together as well. It's yeah. crazy. But uh, Joe vs. Volcano, very underrated. But uh, uh, That's the only one I've done. Oh, wait, hold on. It's You've Got Mail, Sleeps in Seattle, Joe vs. the Volcano, and what's the other one? I can't remember. There is another so one. I was going to say Joe vs. the Volcano is the one I haven't seen, but now I can't remember what the third one is. But, um, but yeah, I've seen there, it too. there is another one. There is another one. Yeah. Um, but uh, I love it whenever they add these sort of higher higher order, like sort of, what do you call it? Like a like a setting, you know, like like adding in this weird thing like time loops. Oh, well, like, high, like, yeah, like high concept stuff. A high concept, a yeah, high yeah. concept idea into it's a like, romantic What if film. it was a rom-com, but time loops? And then yeah. like, you, can, you can basically like, yeah, see the marketing executives high-fiving each other. I, I, I love that. And I've got a few films on my list uh, this week of people where it's, you can just imagine them coming to the idea of the film. But I love it when they when you add those things in. It would be very, very easy to turn this into something else with a little bit of romance going on as well. But whenever yeah. they keep the core of the romance and then but also continue a bit like the time travels wife actually mm. uh, but they and they keep they keep the romance as the central theme of the, of the film even though there's other this time loop thing going on uh, the actual romance is the most important part about it, and I like I like films that do that. Yeah, yeah, like, and they very much do that in this. But yeah, I I, I really can't recommend it highly enough. It, it, I I thought I was going to enjoy it because, as you say, it's kind of like I'm a sucker for a, a rom com that's that's twee and quirky. But then throwing that high concept time uh, time loop stuff, and I was on board. But it, it definitely paid off, and I think hopefully uh, you'll enjoy it as well whenever you get a chance to check it out. But yeah, that's the the map of tiny perfect things. It's on Amazon Prime. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I will check that out. I think um, so. I'm gonna stick in the realm of kind of a like a romance. This is the only film I've done this week that could be viewed as a romance, I think. Okay. Um, and it's I don't know I I don't know if you've seen this film. It, it wasn't very well publicized back in the day. Okay. Um, it seems quite low budget for what it is, and it is 2012's Upside Down. Have you seen this? Oh, that name rings a bell, but I I don't know if I have. Let me let me IMDb this. Right. Okay. So it's it's a. I don't think I have. It's a very high concept. Um, a very high concept romance film slash drama about <laughs> about 
a world. Like, in a world. Right? This is... Whenever you think about a film, like, with the trailer that starts, like, in a world. And I think yeah. this one actually does. It's, it's a high concept in a world film where it's literally, like, two Earths are right next to each other. Yeah. And there, a- therefore, there's, there's gravity... Uh, that forces people to go one of two ways. If you're born on Earth 1, for example, then you are affected by Earth 1's gravity. If you're born on Earth 2, then you're affected by Earth 2 gravity. But they're only about <laughs> 500 metres apart. Yeah. So you can actually... I'm assuming they don't get into the physics of why that would be bad for things like tides. Um, no, no, they don't get into the tides <laughs> physics. No, definitely not. But there's like really... So basically, it's this weird thing where... This, this character called Adam goes up and he goes to his aunties on the weekend and he goes up into the mountains, goes mountaineering. And when he gets to a very high peak, he gets to a peak that's about 20 meters away from a peak on the earth right above them. And then uh, Kirsten Dunst's character called Eden, and I was very surprised to see her in this because the film does have an overall feeling of low budgetness. They do mm. a lot with the budget that they, that they had. Yeah, they, it's, it's odd for like, like talking about one high concept movie. This is right in that high concept wheelhouse. Yeah. So it's odd for it to be low budget and also this high concept. Well, I don't know how I don't know how low budget it was, but it seemed like everything was every, it was very well made, and the solutions that they had. For getting for for portraying this world were very clever, but okay. it just even like the grading was very low budget. It's it's very clearly not a hundred million dollar film. Maybe yeah, sure. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was ten million. But still, for a film like this with so much visual effects needed and things, that's not mm. much money at all. Um, so basically, he goes up into the mountains and he meets a woman from the top. Uh, world, uh, and they and and they. Oh, the they're whole, like standing opposite each other. They're standing these, opposite uh, each other on, on the on the mountain. I can see and, the visual already. Yeah, and like t- say what you want, right? If you want someone to do an upside down kiss, you call Kirsten oh, Dunst. Kirsten Dunst is your girl. Like she Kirsten, has yeah. got that on lock. So like, the, there's, basically, the whole story is this really awesome, uh, well realized world. If a little bit, sort of. If a little bit under like low budget and sort of thrown together, uh, it, it's it's cool to be in the world. I, I don't think I could have been in it for one two hours, but it's cool to be in the world. And basically, yeah. the, the whole purpose of the story is that Kirsten Dunst and this fella, uh, so the Kirsten Dunst character's name Eden and his name's Adam. See what they did there? Um, they they have this relationship, uh, even though they're not in the right world, but they're not so, they're not allowed to. It's a bit of a Romeo Juliet thing. Yeah, going it's, on. A, it's Starcross lovers. Starcross, it is Starcross lovers, and basically. Uh, they get stopped by the authorities, uh, and so it's, this is really dangerous. And it really made me like this. Actually, had a physical reaction to this. The way that they used to hang around together is he would throw a rope to her, right? Mm. She would tie it around herself, and then he would pull her. So for her, it was like being pulled up into the sky. But for him, it was, yeah. he was pulling her down, and then they would go underneath a, like a cliff edge, and she would be under there, and they would sort of be there. She would be lying, looking at him as if she's lying way up in the sky, and they, yeah. you know, do what teenagers do. Now, whenever they came to get her, he had to like let her go really quickly, and uh, she falls, and. I'm not going to tell you what happened because it's it's literally ten minutes into the film. But I had a long <laughs> I had I had a long discussion with my wife about spoilers of this film and we don't know what's a spoiler and what's not because I'm all I'm going to say is there was a moment 10 minutes into this film where me and my wife looked at each other and said we knew they couldn't afford Kirsten Dunst for the whole film 
they had it for three days of filming. <laughs> yeah. They got it for the first, the, the, like the opening section, and maybe the maybe the closing the closing act, and that's it. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not going to say any more. Um, I'll, I'll not say any more. I don't want to spoil anything. But basically, that's how it was. It's the story of this guy Adam who has to get to uh, the other the other world. Yeah. And he and it's really strange in that he like is able to take clothes from the other world. Basically, all the objects are sucked towards the world they come from. So yeah. there's particular scenes where, like, every, whenever you are in contact with something from the other world, eventually it starts to burn, right? So the objects, like, if I'm wearing a T-shirt from the other world against my skin from the from my world, it will start to burn, right? Okay. So there's, a, there's a sequence where he's running through the city of the top world with clothes on from the top world with weights in them so he won't fall, right? <laughs> like Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. Weighted yeah. training clothes. So that's what he's doing. And he's running, <laughs> but everything is like really getting really hot on him. So he literally has to run, jumps into the water, right? Has to take all of his clothes off. And then because he takes all the clothes off, he falls out of the water back to his world, into the water on his world. Like 400 meter drop. Nothing to this point, right? But, uh... It, uh okay. It's a it's a really int- no, he wasn't hurt. There's a really, <laughs> of course he wasn't. Come on, it's a really interesting film, and I can't believe it skipped me by. I I watched it, kept watching it, thinking, right. So this is what it is. I'm enjoying this. Some like something has to happen for me to, for me to not like it. Like if this film it keeps being, if I keep enjoying it this much, why didn't I hear about it till now? You know what I mean? Something mm. has to happen. That, like This has to go downhill. But to be, for me, it never did. I enjoyed the story the whole way through. I thought it was really, really lovely. It kept me com- compelled. The world never got tired. Yeah, uh, I, I never got tired of the world. And I just really enjoyed it. So if, you, if you're a fan of high concept sci- sci-fi um, and, you, and you want to be in a world that's a bit like anything else, it's, if you want to be in a world, if you, if you watched Inception, and you saw the part where they folded the city back on itself, and you thought, "I'd love to spend a bit more time there." <laughs> this is the film for you. Nice. Well, I mean, that's uh, that kind of um, visual mindfuckery is 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 a high recommendation as far as I'm concerned. Um, I will say this for it: having not seen it, it has Timothy Spall in it, which is always um, a a great sign of a movie that I'm going to enjoy. And the director is, is a man I'm, I'm not familiar with, but uh, Juan yeah. Solanas. Um, he looks a bit like an Argentinian Harry Hill, which will mean something to <laughs> maybe five of the listeners of this podcast. It's all in the glasses, but uh, it is in the. It's a lot of the, a lot of it's in the the glasses. The glasses are doing some heavy lifting there. Yeah. But yeah, that's really cool. That sounds that, uh, that's that's really funny that we've got two incredibly high concept romances <laughs> yeah. off, off the bat there um, and good Makes to see sense. Kirsten Dunst in something as well she's a, she's an actress who I feel we haven't seen much of in the last 10 years um, but I've, I've, I've always liked Kirsten Dunst she can she can do some really good work um, if the yeah. if the part is right her and Tobey Maguire sort of went oh, away. Tobey Maguire doesn't I, he doesn't do it for me I t- I've never well, seen said, Tobey Maguire in something I like him in we, we were Ema and I were watching uh, Upside Down and Ema said it's funny, you never see Tobey Maguire anymore. And I said, well, the thing is, there's not really much of a market for a 45-year-old man with a 12-year-old's voice, is there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he's... Um, he, I'll tell you the problem I had with Tobey Maguire, and I, I stand by this, is that he's not funny enough as Spider-Man. That was, like, I, I was quite a big Spider-Man fan as a kid, and I grew up on the 90s cartoon, where yeah. it was the guy, I can't remember the actor's name now, but he was in the Brady Bunch. He's, like, really funny. And, he, and uh, like, he delivered the quips perfectly. And then Tobey Maguire got the part, and I was like, oh, I mean, he's okay. He gets the nerdiness right, but 
I, I think I actually... Pre- I know this is sacrilege to say this, but I actually think I preferred Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man to, to Tobey Maguire. Well, apparently, word is you're going to be seeing both of them come back into the Spideyverse. Yeah, that'll be cool. I am looking forward to that because as much as I might pretend to be above all the Marvel nostalgia, uh, it'll, all it takes is that I, I, and it, like I mean that works for Spider Man. All it will take is them to show me a logo for an X Men film, and I'll be like, yes, I'll be, yeah. <laughs> I'll be there, in, like at the premiere, singing their praises again. Um, right, okay, I. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do one of mine that is definitely a romance. It's a fancy romance, and it's a rewatch for me. Um, this is a kind of a classic. I think a lot of people will agree with it. Although I, I'm loath to admit that as much as I still like this movie, it's not as good as I remember it being. I haven't seen it for about five or six years, and that is 1987's uh, The Princess Bride by Rob Reiner. Um, I grew up watching this movie loads. I'm sure loads of people did. It's kind of one of those, you know labyrinth dark crystal kind of movies that just people watched so much as kids and there's a huge amount of of reverence and nostalgia for and there are elements of it that are still really good it's still very funny it's you know rob reiner directed it and he's got people like christopher guest and and um billy crystal performing guest appearances in it and and Mm -hmm. mel smith as well actually and um who, who you know bring these really funny characters into these individual scenes that they're in um, and Carrie Elway's doing his best um, Errol Flynn impression, which he would then later go on to to reprise in uh, Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves. Um, Rob, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Robin, Robin, uh, Robin Hood, Hood, Men, in Robin Hood Men in Tights yeah. is uh, the, the supreme Cal- Carrie Elway's uh, uh, performance, and that's the reason why I never watched The Princess Bride. Oh really? I mean, I mean, he's very good in this as well. He's very charming. He's less funny, obviously, because it's not a Mel Brooks film. But uh, it's it's just not as I, th- I think a lot of the problems that I had with this movie this time round, it, it's, it's, it's the case I often find, I'm sure you get this as well, when when you watch something a lot, every time you watch it, um, you tend to pick up new things from it. Yeah. And this time, the thing that struck me was that the score is really like, it sounds like MIDI keyboard sound effects, which mm. is kind of supposed to, is supposed to, it's supposed to be cheesy and sound ridiculous, but it doesn't sound good cheesy. It sounds bad. So like when, when, you know, someone springs into action, you get these really like cheap sounding trumpets clearly played on the keyboard, like, and it's, it's just like, <laughs> this is not good. And then I went to look at who did the score and it was fucking Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits who did the score, which A, I didn't know he did film scores yeah. and B, he didn't do a good job of it. So maybe that's why he doesn't do them anymore. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's still a good film. It's still very funny, still very charming. You know, Andre the Giant is great. The the uh, Mandy Patinkin as Inigo Montoya is still awesome. With the uh, you know, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare yeah. to die. That's you know that 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 phrase is ingrained in like the cultural lexicon now. But it wasn't as good as I remember it being, which is disappointing because my partner hadn't seen it, and I was like, right, Valentine's Day. We have to watch the Princess Bride because it's on it's on Amazon Prime, and then it finished. And I was a bit like, "All right, okay." Sorry for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, last year we were last year last week we were talking uh, about the fella who's in everything. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Fred Ward. Kevin Dunn. Oh, Kevin Dunn. Yeah. yeah. He's, mm, oh, he could be in this. This is around his era. Now, what I will say, I was going to say is, now if, if we're thinking about Kevin Dunn. And thinking like he was a supreme fella back then. You know who I'm going to mention? It's of course Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn is like the alpha 
Kevin Dunn. I'm trying to remember who Wallace Shawn is. He's now. the guy who talks like about. this, you know, like these really high. Oh yeah, voice. of course, yeah, of course, that's Wallace Shawn. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, we were trying to figure out um, while we were watching it which Toy Story character he's what he was, and I, I was going back and forth between um, the, the the pig and the T, and then we landed on the T Rex. So yeah, I was like, yeah, oh, of course it's a T Rex. Yeah, well, yeah, Wallace Shawn again. You know what you're getting with him, <laughs> like, and you're always going to get it at, at, at top quality. Yeah, well, Sean, what a, what a legend. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I actually haven't seen uh, The Princess Bride. Uh, it's something that... Have it, you never seen it? No, I think... So, Ema and I are sort of the opposite of you and your partner in that um, we've seen... Like, I've never seen it, but Ema has, and Ema's watched it a lot as a child, and she's always said that we need to watch it, and I've never seen it, which is really I, Oh, yeah, you say, because you, wa- you watch Men in Tights, yeah. I mean, it's... Men in Tights was, was one of my childhood films, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the listeners might all, all be picking up that a lot of my childhood films maybe shouldn't have been childhood films, but uh, yeah, that Mel Brooks as a childhood film is—I uh, mean, I, that's great. Like Mel Brooks comedies are amazing, but there's some stuff in there. There's some racy stuff in there. Is yeah, I'll say. yeah. Um, it's just—it's just so good. Mel Brooks himself in Men of Tights is just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Like he—he he got away with a lot, Mel Brooks, and we're better for it. But God bless him. I don't know if you could make those movies. <laughs> no, 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 no. To be honest, you could you could probably say that about most comedies from throughout the ages. The comedies that sort of you could make again these days, you you, you watch them again and you don't really care too much, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, I think Stephen Fry. Well, I was actually this takes me down a rabbit hole, but I'll only be I'll be in this rabbit hole for a, for a small amount of time. I was a Mel Brooks rabbit hole, so you're more than welcome to dwell. Yeah, it's it's more sort of comedy rabbit hole. Okay. I, uh, I I was watching a video from Stephen Fry, and it ignited something in me. But I'm, I just maybe want to make a video about this. But Stephen Fry was talking about the difference between American comedians and British comedians, and uh, he was talking about the idea that like um, the American comedian uh, is like wants to be the, the macho alpha male who's you know making fun of everyone and everything like this. Whereas the British comedian wants to be the one being made fun of, um, like sort of like Basil Fawlty and you know those sort of things, and it just makes me think. That's to me why the the British um, comedies are sort of the older British comedies last longer than the than the American ones, in my opinion, because like films like Animal House, for example, it's not. It's it's remembered as this great thing, and when I watched it, I was like. What? I I daren't go back to Animal House now because I know exactly what's in that movie and it's like I can't in my I've got it in my memory and I love Animal House but I know when I see like the scenes of them like basically every joke in Futurama and The Simpsons about them going to the, like the college dorms and like stealing a bunch of girls' bras and putting them in a bomb that's pretty much all from Animal House yeah, yeah. and it's like it was really funny at the time or well, I I, you know, I wasn't alive when it first came out but I think it was really fun like it was received very well at the time but kind of society has moved on a bit from from but, some of those values um, but like yeah and it's it's really strange like whenever you watch like a best comedians of all time and like uh, um and John Belushi's on it obviously uh and the, the the thing that they always show it's just like imagine being this is your highlight of your career is him just smacking his cheeks and the potatoes coming out I'm a zit it's like yeah right uh, is or, there anything or him more like drinking him turning up and they're clearing out the uh, clearing out the, the the college dorm and him drinking an entire bottle of Jack Daniels, which I believe John Belushi did actually do on set. Which is um, when you know how he ended up makes that incredibly dark. Um, he, he yeah he had a lot of problems with alcohol and substance abuse. But, yeah, um, but, but my point is, comedies what you, like most com I, I think to me like the, the comedies that you that you go and watch again and they are still just as funny. They, they stand the test of time. I think Mel Brooks. 
even though there's certain questionable things, I'm sure every co- every stage of comedy there is, Mel Brooks films hold up in terms of comedy. Well, I think, like, Mel Brooks... Um, sorry, we will get out of this, this comedy cul-de-sac in a second, listen. Just bear with <laughs> us for one second. Um, I think the, th- the interesting thing to me about Mel Brooks, because I, I will watch his movies now without any reservations, apart mm. from uh, the producers, because there is a really, really offensive representation of a gay... Oh, well, I, we don't know if he's gay, but he's presented as, you know, incredibly mm. camp. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's, like, coded as gay uh, director. And that's, but that's quite offensive. But to be honest, most of the other stuff in Mel Brooks films was actually really ahead of its time so Blazing yeah. Saddles is a great example That's of a, a movie one. like the language is obviously incredibly coarse and if you watch it at surface level you'd be like there's no way we can watch this movie now because it's the language is so bad but yeah. it's actually if you, if you watch the movie like the characters who are always the butt of the jokes are the, are the white racist characters they're idiots like the, mm. the, the, the whole time um, which is why I think that movie has aged um, fairly well to me. I can't remember a lot about Men in Tights, um, to be honest. Oh, I don't know Men if in any... Tights is absolutely fantastic. I, I, it is I remember Dave so Chappelle funny. and Dave Sean Connery. Good, yeah. <laughs> like, Sean, Sean Connery is at the, yeah, at the, yeah, at the very end. Um, yeah. Just turns up know, and kisses his wife. Yeah, what, oh, I, there's also like the whole thing of like Little John is this huge, lumbering, blonde, you know, oaf of a man. And then he like, uh, but he he's like, he's introduced by like, you have to pay a toll across the bridge. And yeah. then he falls into the river, which is literally, we're talking an inch deep. And, he, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. I can't swim! <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you got it the, blind, the, right. the blind servant called Blinken, who, uh, who like uh, mistakes a bust of a woman uh, with... Robin returning from the crusade. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. a gr- it's a great film. You need to watch it again. Like, yeah, it's not bad. Uh, like, I, I remember bits of it. I remember enough of it to know that it is a funny movie, but probably not a movie you should have been watching when you were like seven or, <laughs> or whatever. Oh, but it's so good. It's so yeah. good. Um, okay, right. We're going we're gonna to take a left turn out of comedy... I can't think of a word that begins with C for street, so I'm just going to abandon this joke. We're going to talk about the next film. Um, what, have, what have you got for us? Okay, so a few weeks ago I was talking about um, Valerian, which is the yes. high high concept sort of in a, in a universe, right? Uh, so just like like Star Wars would be or Star Trek would be, but it's sort of an independent version of that. Mm. Well, you questioned me whether it was the one made by the Wachowskis um, with Channing Tatum in it, yeah. and I said no. Well, that made me interested to go and watch that film, so I watched Jupiter Ascending. Well, Channing uh, Tatum is a dog man, I yeah, think. a lichen. <laughs> Liken something. Yeah. Um, so basically, Jupiter Ascending is a, a Wachowski's film who made the, they made the Matrix. Um, yeah, and it's it's an interesting take on that sort of genre, which is like a, the Valerian Star Wars Star Trek genre of like fantasy sci-fi. Um, yeah. So basically, it's set it's set in a universe where humans uh, didn't originate on Earth, um, but the human race on Earth is oblivious to this fact. And um, there's like this, this, these elites, rich people who are able to stay young for millennia, um, and and basically it's a whole debate over it between these siblings when their mother died, uh, who is the rightful owner of Earth, um, yeah. and basically you find out that uh, Mila Kunis's character, who is called Jupiter, J- Jupiter Jones. Uh, that's which, a great name. It's just a great name. Named James Jupiter Jones because uh, her father was obsessed with the planet Jupiter. Um, oh, who isn't? Who we, all have a, we all have a favorite planet. 
Exactly. So Jupiter Jones. Uh, now, this is really interesting. That she, she is what's called a recurrence. Okay. So basically, 91, 91 millennia before the start of this film, the main three sort of rich folk, one of which is played by Eddie Redmayne. Um, yeah. You might remember him from the trailers and stuff. Have you seen this film? No, I've never seen it. And I, I, I actually, I didn't realize that Eddie Redmayne was in it. I also didn't realise that one of my favourite named actresses, who I couldn't really tell you much of what she's been in, uh, but the brilliantly named Tuppence Middleton is also oh, yeah. in this movie, Tuppence. which uh, it's always great to see her turn up in something yeah, just so for, Tupp- the, for the credit. Tuppence Middleton plays one of the one of the, one of the family, so that's the Abraxas family. Um, so it's Eddie Redmayne, uh, Douglas Booth, and Tuppence Middleton. They're the three siblings. And yeah. anyway, their mother p- passes away, um, and then it's, it's revealed that Jupiter Jones... Mila Kunis is actually a recurrence of their mother. Now, what that means is, is that her DNA is the exact same as their mother. So okay. a, rec- a recurrence is whenever you eventually, after millions of years or thousands of years, your the same DNA sequence is is put out again. Um, so okay. it's it's not the, like. Eddie Redmayne's character sort of refers to her like she is the mother, but she's not. Um, she's just a, what's called a recurrence. Yeah. Um, and you find out that in uh, their mother's will, they actually she left the um, the planet Earth to her recur- <laughs> to her recurrence, as one does. As one does. So basically, this film doesn't really know what it's trying to do. If I'm completely honest with you, <laughs> um, it, it fails on a. Uh, <laughs> I didn't dislike it. Uh, my wife and I were comparing this with Upside Down. They're both really high concept, crazy ideas. Upside Down succeeds where this fails, in that this one's story peters out about two-thirds of the way in. It doesn't have a a good resolution to the story. It doesn't have to do anything new. It's very much what you'd expect, and it it fails for that reason. The Mm. world they create itself is interesting. They've got, like, these... these, A lot of people who are, like, sort of spliced with different animals, like... uh, this uh, Channing Tatum plays this dog man uh, who's got like pointy ears and he's he, one time there's this mysterious thing that one time he attacked an elite because it's in his DNA or something I don't know but it was I like the world but that yeah. wasn't enough to sustain me throughout the film and um, yeah like gravity boots do you like gravity boots there's, there's, there's um, anti-gravity boots going on it depends if we're talking uh, uh, con- no no hold on it's not Con Air what's it called face off gravity boots or which were a, a props that they took from the Super Mario Brothers movie, or um, or I don't know what other kind of gravity boots there might these, be. These gravity boots are. Imagine a hockey player who had uh, like uh, ice skates that could make you fly. That's what these are. Okay. Um, yeah. So basically, um, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting thing. Like they're they're doing this weird thing as well. Like because they set it on Earth, I think that was one of the issues, right? If they had had this idea and alluded to Earth, but it wasn't Earth they were fighting over. It was a different planet. If they yeah. kept it away... Like, Valerion kept everything away from Earth. They explained how it came to be, the space station and everything, and then it was never on Earth again. Mm. The fact that this was on Earth meant that the Wachowskis had to put in a load of stuff, for example, uh, like um, they added a crop circle details. They added in details like, uh, hang on, but they just destroyed three buildings. Isn't people gonna, aren't people going to notice that? And it's like, yeah, but they wipe their memories. There'll always be a few they miss but no one will believe them anyway, right? So it's like sort of the whole way through the film, they're trying to, to, to explain why humans think they're... Some, some humans think they're aliens. and so, You know, it's like okay, they're, trying, right. they're trying to do the, the coy thing of like, this world is actually, you know, like it is our world. and like It could be today. Yeah, it, like could be, it could be the real. And it doesn't really work. Um, add to that the bizarre 
characterization of a few people. Like, for example, Sean Bean is this, in this, right? Yeah. And Sean Bean plays... I'm assuming he dies. <laughs> I, I'm not... I'm like, we, we don't do spoilers here on the best movie podcast ever, but I don't think it's a spoiler to say there's a solid chance Sean Bean dies in this movie. Well, I'm not going to say yes or no, but let's let's just say <laughs> he. the strange characterization of him is... Now, the editing of the film is very strange. There's plenty of times where there's, it seems like a scene has been missing, right? But Okay. And there's no, there's been certain things happen with no build up to them. They seem very important, and then it goes nowhere. An example of that is when when uh, Mila Kunis and Channing Tatum, Jupiter Jones and Kane Wise are on the run. They go to a little, uh, they they go to a, a sort of a, uh, a farm. He lives on a farm, uh, uh, like sort of a, a little place. Sean Bean's living there. He he's called Stinger, right? And uh, some great names in this movie, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll wait till you hear why he's called Stinger. Uh, okay, it's I, he probably had the name Stinger beforehand, but he's called Stinger, and he has a weird obsession with bees, right? <laughs> of course, of course he, he does. He, he like he's his house is covered in beehives. There's bees everywhere. He himself looks like a normal, respectable showers every day type person yeah but he's got bees everywhere and whenever mila kunis now this might be a bit of a spoiler but it's like 15 minutes in so i'm, I'm not going to call it a spoiler but mila kunis <laughs> mila kunis comes uh to, to the farm there's a load of bees there and she starts moving her arms right she starts moving her arms and the bees are moving with her right oh. and sean bean's like well, stinger because uh, he likes because he's obsessed with bees um stinger goes well there we go bees can sense royalty right so can they exactly because <laughs> there's a, a queen bee apparently right and i was like right so bees can sense royalty is this film literally making the, the argument that elitists and, and like yeah, royalty some... are, have a dna difference to the rest of us it's like is some that... divine right of kings bullshit going <laughs> <Yeah>. on <laughs> is that is is that what and i was like oh it mustn't be it mustn't be what they i think it is because like you know there's aliens in this film too it's like oh no hang on those aliens are also humans and he, the human race didn't start on earth so they're literally saying that royal royalty has a different thing within their dna that's what this film's saying yeah, cool. Well, I look forward to the scene where um, uh, where Jupiter Jones has to prove she's a princess by putting a pee under like a million mattresses and then sleeping on it and, and detecting it. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's what it's like. But anyway, that's Jupiter ascending. Wouldn't I? Wouldn't recommend that to be honest. With no, you. I, I've not heard great things, but that's good to have it confirmed. Yeah, and um, I must have been. Not, I, don't, I must have dozed off, but I, for some reason, <laughs> I, I I missed the line where apparently Channing Tatum says, "I have more in common than a dog than I do with you." Um, but I, di- I didn't hear that line but that's that's all I ever heard people talking about this film when it first came out yeah it, that's the, literally the only thing I know about this movie is that uh, the Wachowskis made it and Channing Tatum is a dog man which probably yeah. speaks to its quality um, but it's good to have that confirmed it's not Matrix quality it's not even <laughs> Matrix 2 and 3 quality that's oh, all I said rough a rough um, a rough review there, yeah. frankly. Um, okay, and speaking of reviews, I'm not going to spend too long on this uh, next one because uh, we have a review on the channel. Uh, go check it out for it. Um, but I wanted to give it a mention here. A mensch, just for the... Um, a mensch, yeah. A mensch, yeah, for the uh, the podcast listeners. And th- this is uh, 2021's Malcolm and Marie. Um, it's very good but it's hard to watch is what i will say for this movie it's it's uh, directed by sam levinson who I, i've not I, again a director 
this week that I haven't actually seen anything from before, stars Zendaya and John David Washington. It's essentially about a director and his partner come back from a movie premiere and the the, the, the director played by John David, David Washington is flying high. Um, his partner is a bit pissed off because uh, he failed to mention her in a big speech to the crowd and it essentially unearths uh, a bunch of resentment that they have for each other. And it's the, these pitch battles... Um, um, like pitch battle arguments basically where they essentially take it in turns to monologue each other and get nastier and nastier and nastier um, which makes it quite difficult to watch but I think the way that Levinson's script and uh, my understanding is that, that Washington and Zendaya got a lot of freedom to improvise here so I don't, I don't want to give too much credit to the, to, to the screenplay necessarily but the, the way that what is portrayed captures like a truly horrible relationship and the kind of arguments you have in those relationships really really affected me like I, I've, you know, I've had bad relationships in my past and I've, I've really felt myself being transported back to some of the arguments that I've had in those relationships so I, it really worked for me I think one of the one of the big criticisms I've seen of it is that uh, Washington's character Malcolm uh, as a director he sometimes he stops arguing with with Marie and starts basically railing against uh, white film critics um, right. talking about like how he doesn't like the fact that all the art that he makes is uh, treated uh, always viewed through a political lens purely because he is black even if he didn't necessarily mean that um, yeah. and I thought it was really interesting but I do think that you could kind of see the director's writing on the page there like it's basically him speaking um and i think a lot a lot of people who didn't like this movie didn't like the fact that the director was essentially saying was essentially criticizing critics through his character um but uh but i also think he does leverage zendaya's character to kind of rein himself in and be like and, and essentially tell malcolm that he's talking bullshit so you see this really interesting conversation between between these two parts of levinson's personality but it's it's it is really good i don't know if i'd ever watch it again because it's hard to mm. watch but it's beautiful to look at and it's really engaging yeah um when you when i watched your review on this and I, what we've talked about it as well what pops into my mind is it's, it's sort of a more focused version of marriage story yes it's similar to that where it's kind of this back and forth narrative between these two people where you're kind of where the movie isn't really taking a side or at least not in the beginning not really taking a side and it's kind of just presenting these monologues it definitely feels a bit like that i think i think noah baumbach did a better job of it i think he or, or i think the dialogue between um adam driver and um scarlett johansson was a bit more naturalistic mm-hmm. um which allows I, I think if you if you took because this all happens over, uh, because Malcolm and Marie happens over the course of one night, um, I think you can get away with it not being very naturalistic dialogue. It is just these monologues um, and really kind of like outla- not outlandish, but these these really like overblown performances in some cases. Whereas I think in Marriage Story, it's a lot more grounded. They yeah. deal with a lot more stuff and they deal with like kind of the fallout of these arguments as well, which which gives it a kind of fuller narrative whereas this is all about the performances and all about mm. um what they're actually saying to each other but i think that is a reasonable comparison i, I think if you enjoy marriage story you you might find yourself enjoying this as well what well, enjoy is probably mm. the wrong word but being engaged by this yeah no i i personally haven't seen this yet but i really love marriage story i think marriage story was based on uh, the director noah's uh breakup with greta gerwig as well yeah, yeah so i would imagine this film sounds like it probably was based in something in the director's past but at the same time he's letting his own pol- uh, sort of 
fil- film industry politics come into it as well, which maybe takes a little bit of the realistic side out of it as well, though. Yeah, um, I, I, I think it rubs people the wrong way. Have it, or it, it from what I have read of it, I think it has rubbed some people the wrong way. Having a white filmmaker speaking through black characters to to film critics about how black art should be viewed, um, not to say that he's necessarily wrong. I just think some people have interpreted that as like it's not really your place to say you know how black art should be interpreted by white critics because you are not a black a black filmmaker but um yeah. it's interesting though like you say there's a lot of improvisation i wonder if those scenes were the improvisation between him as well as his two black leads in the yeah in the film. It, it could easily be i i think that's 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 an that's a key point to make is that like from what i've read of this he gave he basically gave them bullet points and there, mm-hmm. there was a lot of improvisation in the scenes so it's not really i don't think it's reasonable to sort of drag levinson over the coals for the bad stuff in the script while saying oh well you know zendaya and john david washington improvised 80 percent of the dialogue or however much yeah. it was for the good stuff it's certainly and and for what it's worth as well the stuff that is criticized it's still an interesting conversation to have it's still yeah the, the, oh, there's still yeah. there's still a conversation to be had there um but yes yeah, conversation so- if the conversation needs to be op- it needed to be opened in this way uh, then, then fair enough. You know, now yeah. let you know. Then, then, then more, more prominent black voices. Maybe you could take over the conversation now. But if, if this would have t- took for people to, to, to notice it, then it served a purpose. If a little, you know, you know, strange in, in, in its delivery. Yeah, like, and, and yeah, it's potentially slightly self-servingly from Levinson. Yeah. But, it, but it's still, you know, it is. A, it's a good movie, uh, really engaging, uh, and and it really spoke to me as well. So worth checking out if you're in the mood for watching a two-hour argument. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> uh, my uh, my next one. Um, I, I was sort of I got two left, and I've decided which one to go first. I'm going to okay. go with one that I want to talk about more, and then the last one we could just sort of have a little joke about, right? Okay. Um, so I, I again, this is a film which uh, it's a type of film which I'm going to guess you've seen, but you may maybe not have. It's the type of film I think you would want to you would want to check out, and that is 2019's Late Night. Um, oh, I still haven't seen. I, I put this on my watch list a few weeks ago because I was like this looks that's the Mindy Carling one isn't it yeah yeah like it's supposed to be it's supposed to be quite good I've not heard too many things about it but I like Mindy Carling so yeah so Mindy Carling is actually the writer of this um she wrote it as well as as well as stars in it so it's her and Emma Thompson as well as John Mm. Lithgow John Lithgow's in it too um and it's it's basically the story a few weeks ago I talked about the film Morning Glory which was Rachel McAdam uh, it's so working. funny that you mentioned that because I literally saw this and like, oh, that was the film that Anthony was talking about a few weeks ago. And I was like, no, that's a different movie. Yeah, but, exactly. And now this uh, has come up here. So in Morning Glory, that was made in like 2010. Yeah. And it, it had Harrison Ford as a, as a disgruntled like journalist who believed that, you know, it was his place to cover the real news and to be serious. Yeah. Well, this uh, the, this film is very similar that in its, similar to that in its setup. Um, Mindy Carling gets a job as a writer on a late night show. Think of like a Stephen Colbert show, sort of, for example, yeah. um, or a Conan O'Brien show. She's in the writer's room now. And uh, Emma Thompson plays a character called Catherine Newbury, who's a legend of the business, but mm-hmm. has sort of lost her way a bit because she refuses to, like Harrison Ford's character in Morning Glory, refuses to sort of lower herself to the lowest common denominator. Um, yeah comedy of these days sort of thing she's sort of a real snob about it um to the point where she doesn't even call her writers by their names she calls them by numbers uh <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting thing um now obviously um uh mindy carling actually wrote this herself and you, there's times when just like in marriage story you're saying that like the the the, the I, impression you got was it was this director or the, he was the writer too 
their feelings about the industry coming out. Well, Mindy Carling wrote this in a really interesting way in that she was she wrote herself in it as a diversity hire. Uh, okay. She was hired because she was a woman um, into this all-males writer's room mm. and that none of them believed that she was hired. And, and it felt to me that she was writing from personal experience. Yeah. Um, and sort of throughout the film, certain members of the writer's room uh, warm to her. Certain members don't. Um, she's able to sort of prove that she does does belong there um and and she's not a, she's, she doesn't shy away from the fact of just saying yes this character is a diversity hire but that doesn't mean that they're, that they're not able to do the job yeah um, and with, within within the within the rest of the um the characters within the writer's room there's like a, a couple of fellas whose fathers were in the writer's room before them and stuff so the yeah. idea of nepotism comes into it um, as well as that, there's at the very. It's more at the beginning of the film, but it, it sort of goes away. But it's sort of Mindy wanted to put her thoughts out about the idea of diversity hires, about the idea of uh, sexism in the workplace. Mm. It feels, it felt, as a person who's not in the industry of late night comedy writers' rooms, it felt a little bit like the message the film was giving was five years after, you know, five years too late. Yeah. At the same time. Um, in that world, it's completely believable that that world would still be like that. You know what I mean? So, it's 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 a weird one that it's very it's an interesting film, and I think that the relationship between uh, Emma Thompson's character and Mindy Carling's character grows and is really good, and sort of Emma Thompson sort of opens up throughout the film. Yeah, um, and also it also touches upon scandal within the within the industry. Um, it's it's it is funny too. I will add it it is it is there are a, a number of laughs in it. Um, and to me, it's it's again one of those films that it doesn't fit into a, a genre really. It's not quite a comedy. It it, mm. it is funny, but I wouldn't call it an out and out comedy. It's not a drama. It's it's it's. My wife and I were talking about it, and we think this probably the best way to describe a film like this is like a sitcom, but a film. <laughs> you know, it's They've taken situ- the low standards for How I Met Your Mother or whatever the I don't know what a modern popular sitcom is. To be honest, that shows how out of touch I am. With. Well, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Like, the, 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 there's not really many. Um, there's not really many popular audience based. Is, is Young anymore. Sheldon still on television? Is that the, is that the one that the kids Jeez. are watching these days? As a former math student, I hope not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> everyone in my hundred person maths class used to think they were. They used to think they were the Big Bang Theory, and it annoyed the hell out of me. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I've got a video the in the Theory. works about uh, about sitcoms, by the way. But oh, okay, uh, nice. Yeah, but this, this, like, this is like a situation comedy film. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 all around this 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 era this uh, this this era era area of life. You know mm. what I mean? So yeah. it's a situational thing. Um, but yeah, it's 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 worth. Tra- I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I like Mindy Carling as a comedy writer and performer. Mm-hmm. I think she's she's very funny. I love Emma Thompson. I think she is a phenomenal actress who is great in pretty much everything that she ever does uh and i always want to see more of her so that was that was what appealed to me about this um so yeah i'm looking forward to checking it out it looks like it'll be fun at the very least yeah and i and i will say that i was whenever i said mindy carling is not afraid in the in the writing of this film to poke fun at herself yeah for being so politically aware so sort of feminism hoorah she's not afraid at, at, at pointing out the idea that 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 isn't everyone's cup of tea in terms of someone they want to talk to at lunchtime you know what i mean yeah and and like what 
like obviously I agree with the sentiment that she, she's putting across but she's not afraid to point out that actually the fact that I'm like that could be a little bit of a bit annoying to some people uh, and I, I was I was really respectful of her, of her for doing that to be honest with you yeah no I think it's I think that's something that gets lost in a lot of that um the sort of the more hyperbolic dialogue around stuff like that mm-hmm. is having the ability to kind of poke fun at oneself is is perhaps the best way of kind of like diffusing the tensions inherent in that kind of argument and maybe getting people to listen to you which i think is important so um yeah like i've she's always she's always done right by me has mindy carling so i'm i'm looking forward to checking that out i will yeah. almost definitely do so should do mm-hmm. um cool okay right well so i'm gonna i well <laughs> we will end on your last one that maybe we'll have a bit of a joke about but this next one that i'm going to talk about I almost wanted to say you should go next because this is one of my favorite films of the last 10 years. So, um but we'll 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 ramp it up okay. to the top to the top of the mountain and then you can let, let us all down with your final film. Um so I've gone on record multiple times as being a big fan of Rocky movies. I know not all of them are great. 4 is ridiculous. I still love it. 5 is not a great movie. Rocky Balboa is okay. Um the first 3 Rockies I think are legitimately great. They 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 capture that. I mean, you you like uh, you know some sporting dramas like yourself. Oh, yeah. You know, not not necessarily Rocky films, but they 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 distill by the fourth movie. They have distilled down the formula for what makes a good Rocky movie into such a pure, perfect formula that it just it, it just works on me every single time. Which is not to say that that's necessarily a good thing because they are by definition formulaic, and the formula gets more and more ridiculous and stuff like characterization of Rocky Balboa just goes out the window by the by the fourth or even the third movie really um which is why when 2015's Creed rolled around um I loved it so much I like Rocky movies anyway as I've said but Ryan Coogler did something with this movie that was exceptional I think I I, I think it's so hard what he did um and and it's it's him and Michael B. Jordan teaming up again uh, for the first time since Fruitvale Station, which was a couple of years before this. And w- they would then team up again uh, for Black Panther uh, yeah. three three years later, I think, in 2018, I think Black yeah. Panther was, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, they, they both have these almost impossible balancing acts to strike here where they want to be reverent for the original and they want to hit the familiar notes of the original in terms of story structure, but they also want to imbue this film with a personality of its own. Um, And I think they do that perfectly. Um, I think Michael B. Jordan playing this character who spent the first sort of 13 years of his life in group homes and orphanages, who then comes into a more privileged upbringing. um, He has some difficult work to do in his performance to sort of capture uh, the fact that this guy... The, when we when we catch up with him in adult life, he has had a fairly privileged upbringing and still managing to to get some pathos out of the uh, out of the audience. Um, it's not an easy thing to do, and he does it perfectly. Um, but there's just so much personality to this movie. It's 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 so much fun. It feels like its own thing, despite being a Rocky movie. Stallone is in it, and I think he probably delivers a career best performance for me um that he does some really really great stuff i i think he probably should have won the uh, best supporting actor oscar for this performance and in fact i think ryan coogler and michael b jordan as well are names that we will talk about as oscar winners in the, in the future i can't yeah. imagine michael b jordan will go much longer without winning an oscar because he's such a good actor yeah um and the, the one thing i really want to mention um is 
the the the, the score for this movie. It's by a guy called uh, Ludwig Göransson, and there's a lot of it is um, a lot of oh, it's licensed. He does music. the Mandalorian score, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah. So and a lot of it is um, is licensed. He also, he also did Tenet. He did do Tenet, yeah. So he's done some really, really good stuff, and and a lot of it is um, a lot of the, in um, Creed is licensed music, mm. um, but there are little moments of the "Gonna Fly Now" motif kind of woven throughout the uh, woven throughout the, the 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 movie, just like kind of dipping in and out of it. So it kind of reminds you of the of the nostalgia without ever leaning too heavily on it, mm. and it's all in service of this kind of one perfect moment where Gonna Fly Now comes back into the score. I won't spoil when it happens, but it comes back into the score in its full, fully-fledged glory, just for a couple of bars. And that restraint is so difficult to exercise. When you compare it to something like, um, I don't know, like Marvel movies or something like that, where it's just like nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia. Or, well, less so Marvel movies, more like Star Wars movies, I guess. Um, and this, there's, he shows such restraint, and it's all in service of this one moment, and it, it pays off, because it's... It, there, there are very few legitimate moments where I want to stand up and shout like "fuck yeah" um, at mm. movies, but Creed has one of them. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love this movie. Unbelievable! So, when this is so, I, I haven't seen many Rocky films. I have a question. No. Okay, go on. Is Apollo Creed in this film? No. So Apollo Creed dies at the beginning of Rocky I, yeah, Four. I knew he died. Yeah, because I've seen yeah. that. I've seen Rocky Four. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Apollo Creed is is Rocky's opponent in Rocky One and Two. Um, in Rocky Three, he trains him to be more uh, fast on his feet, and then he has a has a uh, a what's the word exhibition bout with um, Evan Drago at the beginning of um, mm-hmm. Rocky Four and dies. And uh, Michael B. Jordan plays Adonis Creed or Adonis Johnson um, at the at the offset, who is the child of an illegitimate relationship that um, Apollo Creed had uh, with another woman, and he is essentially found by Apollo Creed's uh, now widow. Um, at the beginning of the movie when he's about 13 and is raised by her from 13 to... I think we catch up with him when he's about 22 or something like that. So it's about 10 years. Um, And it's... So, yeah, it's a shame that we don't really get any Carl Weathers in this movie. There's not really any way you could get him because obviously the character's dead. Um, But I think Michael B. Jordan does such a good job of capturing the attitude and the personality of Apollo Creed and bring it but making it his own performance as well awesome yeah because that's something before like we started talking about this today I wasn't aware that this wasn't a prequel film I always thought that it was it was it was Apollo Creed in the film I don't know why no, I mean, it could have been. They could have easily done that because at the point that Rocky 1 happens, Apollo Creed is, you know, on top of the world. He's the, yeah. the, the biggest name in boxing. So they, they totally could have done. But no, this is a very, like, kind of grounded... I, I hate the fact that my brain goes to this, but I want to say it has this kind of, like, urban feel to it, which is always, like, coded for just black sounding. Which, yeah. it, it, but, but it's very much, like... You can tell it's a black director. You can tell there are a lot of black voices on the on the, on the crew that made it. A lot of, like... There's a lot of hip hop in the in the score, you know. You've got like Meek Mill and uh, and John Legend and the Roots. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really does feel imbued with its own sense of personality. In the same way that Rocky has that kind of like seventies like funky jazz of, of of like the streets of Philadelphia in its score. Yeah. This has that as well, but it's doing its own thing. Um, and that's it's, something that Ryan Coogler does does a lot. He, he yeah. has a lot a lot of black voices and, and black people in his cast and in his crew. Yeah. Um, and apparently, I've, well, I've obviously I'm not a member of the black community, obviously. But the, the, from what I've heard of interviews, black black actors and actresses 
really love working on Ryan Coogler films for that reason. It feels like it's some of the only experiences that they get in the film industry where they feel like they're they're in the black culture, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's just it's such a good movie he had such a difficult job to do and and he nailed it this is probably my mm, yeah probably my favorite rocky movie i think okay so the other day when you said that you'd watched a film uh one of your favorite films from the last five ten years i don't know why my head never went to creed even though i know how much you loved it because i've talked about it to you about it before but uh yeah. okay well maybe i need to check this out would you would you think that i should watch all the rockies before i watch this um, you don't need to. I think it like it's very much to get that moment thing. with the theme though. Maybe I need to. Well, I think because everyone kind of knows the Rocky theme. I think yeah, it's yeah. one of those pieces of music that even if you've never seen a Rocky movie, you know the Rocky theme. Um, so yeah, yeah. maybe not. I mean, if you if you wanted to, there's nothing. Lo- you don't have to watch Rocky Five or really Rocky Balboa, but Rocky One, Two, and Three. I I I still legitimately think are really good movies. <laughs> Yeah, I just think that maybe Stallone's a bit like a bit like a marmite, you know. I just I don't mm. really like Stallone. I, I I I can't get over him to be honest with you. And yeah, that's why I, I do never, get that. I've never went and watched the Rocky films for that reason. I just find him very like very strange. He is. I mean, he is strange, but he's very endearing in the first two movies, and he does lose that as he becomes successful. So in three and four, but he has that back in Creed uh, because he gets sick basically, and and I think. He finds something in the performance, uh, Stallone, that I didn't think he had in his wheelhouse, to be honest. Okay, awesome. Right, okay, last one. My my last film yeah. is... Uh, now, it's very important we get the capitalization right here, because it is capital D, Dragon, capital H, Heart. One word. Um, dragon Heart. <laughs> dragon Heart! <laughs> dragon Heart, yeah. Uh, so, obviously, this everyone remembers this... <laughs> As the uh, the dragon film uh, with uh, Dennis Quaid plays plays Bowen, yeah, and uh, yeah, Sean Connery is a dragon. Uh, what a- I uh, I always get this mixed up with the T- a Ted Danson Loch Ness film for some reason. I don't know why, <laughs> but I feel like I feel like Dennis Quaid and Ted Danson are basically interchangeable in those these these two movies, which says yeah. a lot about it. Uh, but Dennis Quaid's basically like a, a knight of the old code, and uh, and he and he like is training the future king Ainan. Um, whenever Ainan suffers a uh, very bad injury, and basically Sean Connery's dragon, which has he the dragon has a name that we can't pronounce in our tongue. So hmm. um, Dennis Quaid has a funny scene where Dennis Quaid says, you know, that there's a there's a there's a star system which is like a, like a dragon, and it's called it's called Draco. It's like a star constellation yeah so he says i'm gonna call you draco and he says uh sean connery says so because because he, he wants him to stop calling him dragon so he's like so instead of calling me dragon you're gonna call me dragon in a different language like, <laughs> yes actually i am so the dragon's called draco um david thulis plays the king when he's grown up and oh, basically wow. i do not remember david thulis being in this movie that's yeah. great <laughs> he's he's the king and he is like half half of the dragon's heart basically so yeah, whenever sure. whenever sean connery as a dragon gets gets hurt uh Ainan the king gets hurt as well and uh dennis quaid trained him and like this there's this whole interesting thing between him and like he's sort of his master but at the same time after he got the dragon heart in him, he sort of just turned pure evil. <laughs> like, uh, um, also, Jason Isaacs is in it. Uh, oh, is he? Play- I do not remember Jason Isaacs in this movie yeah, either. He, he plays Felton, it's, uh, Lord Felton, who's uh, basically nice. like uh, a bad guy, just a bad guy through and through. Uh, Pete Possilthwaite. Pete Possilthwaite's oh. in it. Lovely he plays, to see uh, Pete. 
He plays a monk who trains in archery. Very. Uh, do, do you? Th- I, I think Pete Postlethwaite may have played a monk more than any other character, uh, any other actor <laughs> yeah. in the history of cinema. Like, he is a he's a monk in Romeo and Juliet. He's a monk in this, and I feel like he's probably a monk in something else as well. He just he has that face. Yeah, it, well, we never actually learned too much of his, about his character in Inception. Maybe he was a monk in that too. Um, so basically, uh, yeah, fantasy medieval. Uh, 90s film did you know it was rob cohen who directed this i didn't know that until i just checked now the guy directed the fast and the furious yeah yeah so he he started off the fast and furious franchise i did not know that rob cohen directed dragonheart but Uh, you know he he sprinkled his magic on the fast and furious if only it happened with dragonheart yeah can you imagine if we had dragonheart 10 or something coming out now i I tell you there was there was like a period in but i i want to say robin hood prince of thieves started this in 1991 but there was a stretch there where there there was some right shit that was made in the fantasy genre (laughs) like braveheart and yes braveheart is a shit film i I, like i i i stand by that well that doesn't count as fantasy and uh, you mean medieval genre films uh, the same this is a fantasy fantasy. because there's a dragon in it let's be fair listen dragons might have been real we don't know but but my, but, um, but men, men in tights wasn't a fantasy just a medieval musical listen and like a dragon heart is as true to reality as Braveheart was all right yeah <laughs> all right they're that's, both that's true they're both fantasies in their own way yeah but uh but like when watching this film there's two things i want to talk about first thing is okay. it speaks of a, of, a, of, a, of an era of filming where there does, there's not really much there's no grading going on on the film you know like they don't they don't grade it to make it look darker or more blue or more sepia or it's just they take a camera out into a forest they get them to run around and they film it like they shoot dennis quaid with a wig on running around yeah. for a little a little while yeah exactly uh it's like we spent all this money on these cameras why on earth would we change the look of it now you know <laughs> um and that's what it feels like it just feels like like these days if, if you wanted to you could make a film of the same quality for like couple of hundred pound like let's, yeah, let's be just like an iphone yeah exactly having said that though the actual 3d um like cg animation of the dragon is very impressive for the time 1996 there yeah. is a it's very impressive for what for what it is um i i'm actually a bit still a still a bit a bit of shock like, i haven't seen this film since i was probably 10 years old to mm-hmm. be honest with you um and it does a really good job of making you forget that it's a CG, CG. Like, you know, you never fully. Say, forget. What you're saying is that Sean Connery could have gone the Andy Circus route and had a career in. I, I'm assuming he didn't oh. mocap the dragon, like Benedict no, Cumberbatch and the Hobbit. He's not, he's not, he's not big enough. He's not big yeah. enough. <laughs> or they didn't do the Twilight thing, you know, where uh, you fella from, you know, Shark Boy. What's his name? I can't remember oh. his name. Yeah. Anyway, Boy, Shark Boy. Yeah. Shark Boy had like some dots on his face, and there's literal backstage. Uh, the backstage photographs of uh, of Bella or whatever her name is touching his face, but he's going to be made into the CG wolf. Like he's there and she's patting his head. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do that with Sean Connery. I'm sure. I, I, I would imagine Sean Connery had one day's work on this whole. Yeah, film. Sean Connery did. I imagine at this point he did his entire part just sitting down, smoking a cigar. And just <laughs> Let me know yeah, when yeah, I can yeah. go, please. Yeah, but, but there there actually is a sequel to this or a prequel to this. I might I must oh. say, uh, which I have I haven't I might seek it out now to watch it because I haven't watched it. I literally haven't watched it in nearly twenty years now, probably over twenty years actually. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that it's Dragonheart colon something the sequel because it's it feels yeah. like Dragonheart a new beginning. Yeah, a new, a new beginning, and that that's actually a really interesting one because like they they he has to teach the. Uh, 
I think it's Francis from uh, Malcolm Middle in that, and he has to. T- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're he, really they're really getting these actors right at the, right at the peak yeah, of their game. Yeah, and he he has to um, he has to train the the dragon and all. But no, no, it's it's a good funny film. If if, if you have a bit of nostalgia about Dragonheart, go and watch it. Um, I I love I love a, a medieval fantasy from the eighties slash nineties. I just think they're so funny to watch. That I just can imagine them all running out into the forest and just filming them. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's very good. Very have you, good. Have you ever seen Excalibur? No. Okay, that's like a Liam Neeson uh, Arthurian legend movie from the eighties, and it's like one of the weirdest medieval fantasy movies I've ever seen. You should watch it. It's all like everyone's wearing like glistening armor, but it's like quite violent and horrific. It's very good. Right, um, okay, well. Cool. Okay. Well, I, you know, Dragonheart is a is a solid place to leave us for this yeah. week. I think, which which leaves us as it always does with just one simple question to answer and that is for this week Anthony what is your favourite movie? If it's you say close... Dragonheart I'm going to be No it's it's not going to be Dragonheart it, okay. it is a close call I think I'm going to say Upside Down Okay <laughs> Yeah Good good shout it sounds great I love a bit of high concept uh, as, we've, as we've as we've discussed this week um, my favourite movie is Creed I'm going to fly now that's that's what I that's <laughs> what I'll say about that um but yeah, so that's going to do it for uh, for us this week here on the Best Movie Podcast Ever. Thank you, Anthony, for joining me for another rip-roaring adventure through the world of cinema. Um, no thank you to... <laughs> I've never thanked you before. I felt like felt like now was the time. We've done about ten of these. Now's the time. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you to uh, Nancy Wyatt and Jared Iscariot for the use of our theme song. You can find links to their stuff down in the link below on our YouTube channel, which, again, is The Culture Cave. Uh, and thank you to you for listening. Uh, give us a like, get involved in the comments, share the show with your friends, and uh, we will see you same time, same place next week for another episode. And cut. <laughs>